Welcome to Just Curious Media. This is Let's Talk Movies, and I'm Jason Connell. On the show today, I'm talking about Funny Farm, 1988, filming locations. And the reason this came about is because I was always and have always been a fan of this movie. And it dates back to my getting to know the author of the book, also entitled Funny Farm, Jay Cronley, which I'll get into here shortly. And the fact that it was filmed in Vermont, and now since moving to the East Coast, the Boston area, I have been, you know, waiting for an exploration of Vermont to discover, you know, all the different filming locations of this movie. So I did my research, got everything I could, and this weekend we headed to Vermont, and we're still here into Monday, and uh, I have discovered even more than I had bargained for. So I'm super excited to break that down. But before I do, I want to give quick backstory on this movie, the synopsis, the creators, and then kind of into my experiences here, which I'm still experiencing. So here we go. Let's jump in. Funny Farm came out in 1988. The synopsis for the movie is a couple swap city life for the country, but their picturesque new hometown turns out to be just a little bit different to what they were expecting, I'd say. It's a classic fish-out-of-water story, I must say, and so well executed, and here's why. It's directed by George Roy Hill. Rest in peace. We lost Mr. Hill in 2002 at 81, but he was a very well-known filmmaker. He did movies, helmed movies such as Slaughterhouse-Five, Slapshot, one of my favorite sports comedy movies, The World According to Garp, Oscar nominated for Best Director for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, 1969, incredible film. Oscar winner for Best Director, The Sting, 1973. These are phenomenal movies. There is a reason Funny Farm looks the way it does. I mean, he is an incredible director. They were lucky, fortunate enough to get him to do this film. Now, it was written by Jay Cronley, as I just mentioned, unfortunately. Rest in peace. We lost Mr. Cronley in 2017 at 73. I mentioned I got to know him. Really more email exchange. Jay Cronley and I are both from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Obviously, he's much older, but as I moved up the ranks of a uh, cinephile, I actually read a few of his books because beyond Funny Farm, he wrote Quick Change, which became a movie with Bill Murray and Gina Davis and Randy Quaid. Love the movie, Jason Robards. And then he also wrote Good Vibes, which turned into Let It Ride with Richard Dreyfuss and Terry Garr about a guy down on his luck or pressing his luck at the racetrack. So as I started my film career and I started a film festival in Tulsa, I started reaching out to Jay because he had come back to Tulsa. He also had written for Playboy magazine back in the day. And so when he wrote these three movies I just mentioned, it was like bam, bam, bam within the span of either like two or three years. It was like back to back to back. His books were being churned into screenplays, being churned into movies, and wow, what a meteoric ride that was. So he was always really kind to me. One of my ideas was, after my first documentary, Strictly Background, was to potentially develop a narrative. I mean, you don't know where your career is going to go. I didn't know I'd make nine more documentaries. And Jay was telling me, like, hey, these books were never developed, and I would go on eBay because they were out of print, and I was starting to get those and read them, and then you know, unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago. But this being my favorite film of the bunch, 
I got to say. And so that's how I got to know Jake Gronley. Now, Jeffrey Boehm, B-O-A-M, is the screenwriter. He wrote the screenplay, unfortunately, as well. Rest in peace. He died in 2000 at the very young age of 53. Now, he was a very prolific screenwriter. He wrote movies like The Dead Zone, Lethal Weapon, Lethal Weapon 2, Lethal Weapon 3, Inner Space, The Lost Boys, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So a very well-accomplished screenwriter in his own right. And let's look at the cinematographer, Morislav Andrzejczyk. Rest in peace, 2015. He passed away at 80. This happens with older movies. A lot of people have moved on. They were, you know, middle-aged at the time of making it. But his resume, again, it's like a murder's row of uh, great films. Slaughterhouse-Five and The World According to Garp. So he's also worked with George Roy Hill before. Silkwood. FX, Awakenings, A League of Their Own, such great movies. Oscar nominated for Ragtime in 1982 and Amadeus in 1985. To round out the crew, here is the composer. You may have heard of one Elmer Bernstein, rest in peace, passed away in 2004 at 82. Now, I could name 100, 200 movies that he composed, but here's a few in my faves list. Airplane, Stripes, American Werewolf in London, Trading Places, Ghostbusters, Spies Like Us, Three Amigos, My Left Foot. He was a 10-time Oscar-nominated composer and Oscar winner for Thoroughly Modern Millie in 1967. Again, an incredible, incredible crew. Quickly on the cast, I'm mainly just going to highlight the two leads, the farmers, Chevy Chase, you may know that name plays Andy Farmer. Chevy was coming off an incredible hot streak. Caddyshack, Seems Like Old Times, National Lampoon's Vacation, European Vacation, Spies Like Us, Three Amigos, and then Funny Farm. So he's like top dog in Hollywood or one of carrying movies to the box office. And then there was Madeline Smith. Now she's Madeline Smith Osborne. She married an ex-NHL hockey player. And she plays Elizabeth Farmer. And you may best recognize her besides Funny Farm in Urban Cowboy. Great film in 1980. Also, All of Me and The Caller. And there is a great cast beyond the farmers, I got to say. Like Kevin O. Morrison, Joseph Mayer, Jack Gilpin, Mike Starr, Glenn Plummer, Alice Drummond, Brad Sullivan, and Rainer Sheeney, if I'm saying that right. He might have the best line in the entire movie, maybe in a lot of movies, but (laughs) they're at the diner and Andy Farmer's eating what he doesn't know, lamb fries are testicles. And this guy is, this guy being Rainer is watching him from afar. And he's like, well, there's a man who knows when he's got something good in his mouth. And it is just every time I watch the movie, I'm floored by his delivery and the line itself. So I also read there's a lot of Vermonters, a lot of local extras made their way into these bigger Christmas scenes. The movie was released on June 5th, 1988. And again, this episode is just Focusing on the filming locations, there is a scene in New York City at the Apthorpe building, that's the farmer's apartment, but really they're just getting you out of New York very quickly, and most of the film is in Vermont. And to be specific, Grafton, Townshend, and Windsor make up the fictional town of Redbud. And so, where am I now? We are actually in Townshend. 
at a beautiful solar cabin on the big picture farm. It's an Airbnb we found. This is a beautiful cabin, very modern, and it truly is run by solar power. But we are one mile from the Townshend Common. And as we drove in, I was like, oh my gosh, there it is. There's the beautiful white church. It's magnificent looking. They have the town meeting there right next to the park with the gazebo. And the gazebo still stands. I read that it was built for the film. Township loved it. They kept it. I also read about, I don't know, 10 or so years ago, there was a drunk driver in their 70s, also with a cat loose in his car, and he slammed into the gazebo, ruining it, and the town then built it back. The steps are on the different side, though, now. so And it's kind of run down now, I must say. Now, in between these two things, the gazebo and the church, is the antique shop, which you definitely see in the movie. Elizabeth befriends the shop owner and discovers Andy the Stuffed Squirrel, which was inspiration for her children's book in the movie. So it's really neat. I mean, it still says antique on the front. Unfortunately, I don't know if it was the pandemic that shut it down, but it's closed for business. And the Townshed Common is a little bit run down. It's magnificent in the movie. It becomes the Christmas wonderland. And I even read that the film crew... This is kind of sad. Painted a lot of the trees in the common. And then after the production ended, 10 or more trees actually died because of the stuff they put on there to make it look like snow. So there's that. That wasn't a good idea in the long run. And we're down the street from the town Shin Common. It's fun just to do this loop and go around it and relive the scenes in there. And uh, there was a big Christmas tree, of course. That's not there. Now, about 10 to 15 minutes away, there's Grafton. And I got to say, that is a very picturesque town. We drove there yesterday. I was floored by how beautiful it is. They didn't shoot any of the town scenes there, but the farmer's home, by the way, they're not actually farmers. It's just their name. It's a clever title. The Cape Cod that they reside in, built in 65, is there. It's just off the main town square, but it's on private property. So we drove there yesterday to get a look at it, and you can't see it. Like You just see the tip of the house. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not driving up this long private driveway to encounter well, we don't know what. So I started thinking. And so we came back to the cabin here and did some research, got a hold of the homeowner, had a great conversation, explained you know, how important the movie was to me and could I just potentially pop by for a quick photo and, and be on my way. And he acquiesced and let me come over. So we set a time and I was elated. I pulled up the long driveway. I filmed the whole thing, by the way. I may be posting some of this on our YouTube channel, as well as footage from the Townshend Common. But I go up the long driveway, just like the movie, he has a dog, or he has two dogs, but one dog greets me driving up. So I stop my Jeep and I keep going. And he's like, oh no, go ahead and park by the house. And I swear, this is like so meta. It's like an out-of-body experience. I drive a white Jeep Cherokee in the movie when the farmers are selling their house or potentially selling their house, the prospective buyers have a white Jeep Wagoneer. Now, I used to have a Wagoneer, but that's a whole other story. But I pull up and I'm parking the exact same spot the Wagoneer parked. And he's like, hey, yeah, look around, do whatever. And I'm telling you, it's even more impressive in person. It's just like it looked in the movies, but it's been incredibly well kept. 
They have 200 plus acres up there. The pond is just off the house, just like in the movie. When I was walking around filming and just taking photos, their dog was like flying around the pond. I swear, just like the first dog, the Irish Setter in the movie that never became their dog. He just ran all the time and ran away. And I just wanted to live there. I mean, it was, it's incredible. The day was perfect. The weather was in the 70s. Cloud coverage was minimal, and it was just everything I could have ever expected or hoped it would be. And then I had a long chat with him, and he told me about the production, how long it took. He also told me some interesting tidbits because in the movie, they go to this downers covered bridge. By the way, lots of covered bridges in these parts. We went to a few, and I kept thinking, is this the one in the movie that the triborough movers go over and the bridge starts to collapse and finally does? No, you trick yourself, but the actual one is in Weathersfield, Vermont. I haven't been there yet, but when it collapses in the movie, they did that at the property where the Cape Cod resides because there's 200 acres. They used another area and they just did the stunt there. I was like, oh, that makes complete sense. So I highly recommend any and everyone to first see Funny Farm, of course. I actually watched it again yesterday after I got back to the cabin having experience the farmer's home. I didn't go in the home, just to be clear. But I think any and everyone should see the movie and visit Vermont. We've enjoyed our time here so much. There's great beer, great maple syrup, great eggs, great everything. And again, Townshend is very different than Grafton. I think you should experience them both. There's also Windsor. I haven't made it there yet. That's where the scenes happen where he's on the water. So we may or may not have time this trip, but I really wanted to get to the house. That's the crown jewel. I mean, so much of the movie takes place. There are all those memorable scenes where they dig up the body of the person who owned the home that they bought it from to, you know, he drags the snake in the house from the pond to the dog running all over the place to Christmas carolers coming and helping them try to sell the house because Andy's giving everyone a $50 bonus to show uh, kindness to the prospective buyer. So that's really funny scenes and they decide to stay. Basically, they create the world that they always wanted because when they moved to Redwood, they were fish out of water and nothing went as planned. Nothing. But that's about it. The movie does hold up. I mean, I watched it yesterday and you can just tell how well crafted it is. There's no extra fat scenes to seamlessly go together. The movie moves very quickly. And I'm glad they didn't even come back and make a new funny farm. It's just kind of left alone to age on the vine as it should. So without further ado, please enjoy Funny Farm. So thank you so much for listening, and please be sure to subscribe to the Let's Talk Movies podcast, as well as the Let's Talk Movies YouTube live channel. You can also really help us by giving the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcast. And for all you listeners that enjoy sharing your thoughts, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcast, send us a direct message, or post a comment on any Let's Talk Movies social media platform. We also highly recommend checking out our other podcast and visiting justcuriousmedia.com.